Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. With the Academy Awards approaching, the big question on the minds of Hollywood bigwigs has nothing to do with which movie will win or which lucky people can put Oscars up on their mantelpieces. It's will anyone be watching or, by implication, does anyone care? The TV ratings have been dropping for years now, whatever gimmick the award shows come up with. This year they're bringing back a host, or rather an assortment of hosts, but I'm not sure it will help. The problem isn't hosts, the problem is the movies on offer. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands, like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand? No, but Streisand. Sand. I say movies, but I wonder if that's the right word. They're mostly more highfalutin cinema than populist movies. And in many cases, the nominees are films most of the TV audiences have never even heard of. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. We just want to be entertained, say hardcore movie fans. We don't want to spend hard-earned money on being made to think. Though these are the most aggrieved when the movies they go and see fail to even rise to this humble ambition. Is there anything more disappointing than an unentertaining entertainment? It's an insane situation. I say we offer $5,000 and let it all blow over. Or I could stay married to him. Huh? It's three months. I don't even know her. So, movies, cinema, what's the difference? Well, so-called cinema is certainly slower. It's occasionally in an unfamiliar language. These days it's often in trendy black and white and in that weird square academy shape. Are you a man? Ah, and a bold one. That dare look upon that which might appall the devil. Movies, on the other hand, have clearly spent a fortune on looking good. They're big, colourful, but sadly no longer in 3D these days. They tend to feature people we've actually heard of, even if they're not putting too much effort into the job. They're often Game of Thrones' John Bradley this year for some reason. If you're watching this thing, you know by now a huge problem is heading our way. An emergency meeting is being called at our usual place immediately. Three bagels. But I don't want to sound snobby here. I've seen plenty of hugely entertaining movies, just as I've seen all too many tedious, pretentious examples of cinema. In the end, it all comes down to who's calling the shots, I suppose. Really? Worst film you ever saw? Well, my next one will be better. Hello? Simplistically, you could say art films are more interested in character and commercial movies are all about the plot, particularly when their source material is a video game like this week's Uncharted. Also, this week, two undeniable examples of cinema, the black-and-white Come On, Come On and an intriguingly titled Norwegian film called The Worst Person in the World. 
the worst person in the world is extremely Norwegian. Not just Scandinavian like the more familiar Swedish thrillers or Danish human dramas. Norway is the country that gave the world the blackly comic detective stories of Jor Nesbo and deadpan boy band Aha, which may explain this film's unique take on the traditional romantic comedy. Skjønner du liksom hva du er i ferd med å gjøre nå? Skjønner du hva, det, hva du ødelegger og hva, hva det... Ja, selvfølgelig. We tend to think of the Arctic regions as a land of endless night, which is partially true in winter. But in summer, it's the opposite. And most of the action of The Worst Person in the World, which covers four years and 12 chapters, takes place in summer in the Norwegian capital of Oslo. Julie lurte på når livet egentlig skulle begynne. Well, this means that night and day are rather a social construct. People go to work, go to school, go to parties in the daytime, and after a few hours go home in the permanent twilight. Maybe this is why Julie, our heroine, behaves the way she does. We meet her in the prologue to the 12 chapters as she's trying to find her way. I had to for Julia. At Ivan. Julie is studying to be a surgeon. She's obviously a high flyer academically. But surgery seems too mechanical somehow, so she switches to psychology. But that doesn't quite fit her worldview either. She turns to photography and then ends up working in a bookshop. She's unsettled, in other words. You got that? Good. And each change of direction is marked by a new relationship. There are a lot of parties in a Norwegian summer, which is where Judy meets the slightly older Axel. Hi. Hi. Oh, what's up? Axel is played by one of the top stars in Norwegian movies, Anders Danielsson Lear, while Judy herself is the wonderful Renata Reinsver. Renata was so sure that her acting career was going nowhere that she formally announced her retirement, and the very next day she got this job. It was fail. To say the ironically named worst person in the world rests entirely on Renata's shoulders is both true and completely not true. I know I'm being very Norwegian here, as you'll see. It is about the character of Julie, her infuriating changes of mood, her inability to settle, her often casual attitude to everyone else, her irresistible charm. But the performance also rests on the shoulders of director Joachim Trier and her two co-stars, Anders Lear as the casually self-centred Axel and the glamorous Ivand, played by Herbert Nordrum. Let's go, Pada. OK. OK. Hold it. Hold it. We walk you through, huh? We walk you there. We walk you there. No. 
After its success at Cannes, where Renata picked up a well-deserved Best Actress award, and its two Oscar nominations this year, you could be forgiven for supposing that the worst person in the world is a rerun of that European movie staple, the gorgeous woman ricocheting between two contrasting suitors. Jules and Jim, anyone? Julie moves in with Axel and struggles with his rather boring friends and the whole idea of being in a real relationship. And then one Oslo summer night, she gatecrashes a party on a whim and meets the younger, more carefree Ivand. He doesn't want to talk about the problems of the world. He just wants to talk about her. And that's incredibly appealing. So the narrative, I hesitate to call it a storyline, sees Julie pushed and pulled between Jules and Jim, between being grown up and putting it off. Until the exasperated Axel asks for a decision and Judy comes up with the movie's key line. I love you, she says, and also I don't love you. And after a slow Nordic start, you suddenly realise that the worst person in the world has rushed past in a blink of an eye and come to a perfect and unexpected end. Belying the title, it and star Renata Reinsver turn out to be completely wonderful. I confess to having mixed feelings about star and indie darling Joaquin Phoenix. Maybe I was put off by the fake documentary I'm Still Here or his later unpleasant, albeit Oscar-winning turn as the Joker. But I can't deny the guy can act and Phoenix is at the top of his game in a film called Come On, Come On, written and directed by Mike Mills. To visit planet Earth, you will have to be born as a human child. Yeah. At first, you will have to learn to use your new body to move your arms and legs. Mike Mills made his name with two all but autobiographical films. Beginners, starring Christopher Plummer, was about his gay dad, while 20th Century Women, starring Annette Benning, was about his free spirit mum. Come On, Come On is about his son. You will learn to walk and run, to use your hands, to make sounds and form words. There will be so much for you to learn. No, Joaquin Phoenix doesn't play an 11-year-old boy here. That job goes to an astonishing young English actor called Woody Norman. Phoenix plays his troubled uncle, suddenly saddled with babysitting duties for an indefinite period. When you think about the future, how do you imagine it'll be? The slow start sets up Uncle Johnny's job. He and two colleagues are conducting a nationwide investigation of kids' attitudes for public radio. Johnny has just wrapped up in Detroit when he gets a call from his estranged sister Viv in Los Angeles. 
what will stay with you and what will you forget how will your city change will families be the same Viv is called away unavoidably. Johnny reluctantly agrees to look after her son, Jesse. Except there's a problem. He's never had to deal with parenting before. He certainly had little guidance from his own dysfunctional mother. And Jesse can be a bit of a handful. He keeps asking me why we don't talk. You could tell him the truth. Mom died and got into all that weird stuff. That weird stuff of our entire lives. For example, Jesse has an alarming habit of pretending he's not simply an only child, but that his siblings have all died recently. His mother may be used to this rather macabre way of preparing for bedtime, but Uncle Johnny freaks out completely. Why does everything have to be like this kind of weird, eccentric thing that you do? I know, but why not just do something normal? Like everything in your real life. What's normal? Okay, fine. Good point. But Johnny is spending quite a lot of time freaking out. Jesse won't stop talking for a start. He often suddenly disappears, most disconcertingly in the middle of a crowded city street. And he's also got a child's insatiable curiosity in spades. Meanwhile, his mother's time away seems very elastic. Days are turning to weeks. So what, does he have something that is, is it a sleeping problem? Listen, he's probably just overstimulated. Did you give him sugar? Did you let him watch shit on your computer? No. Because that makes him crazy. You're just, uh, used to this. scratches. I'm not used to it. Adding to the stress, the public radio project picks up urgency. Johnny has to travel to New York and then to New Orleans. And with no childcare support, that means Jesse's coming too. Maybe we can just take this process slowly and see see how it feels. You are just terrible at this. Oh man, I'm trying. (laughs) Fortunately, Jesse seems keen to go, at first at any rate. He also starts to engage with the whole idea of radio interviewing. You're reminded that the two dominant aspects of Come On, Come On, sound-only radio and the film's black-and-white photography, are mostly entirely alien to someone Jesse's age. What scares you? Jesse! Where'd you go? What makes you angry? Ah! I'll rise up like a volcano and I will destroy you! The key to the film is watching Joaquin Phoenix take Johnny from hopelessly out of his depth and left behind to first catching up and then belatedly listening to Jesse. Even Phoenix sceptics will find themselves finally won over. It is very well acted, even if the trailer does the film no favours. Come on, come on, is nowhere near as mawkish as this makes it sound. Damn this book. You're crying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're definitely crap. See, you're crap. <laughs> In fact, the star performance is Oscar nominee 11-year-old Woody Norman. Apart from anything, his American accent is flawless. Take that, Benedict Cumberbatch. He gives the character of Jesse guts and dimension, everything asked of him, in other words. And perhaps, again, unlike the trailer, Come On, Come On earns its occasional need for a hanky. Against all odds, it's genuinely engrossing. 
what makes you happy. It's a matter of frustration to Hollywood's greediest producers and studio owners that the many billions of dollars earned by the gaming industry remain firmly out of their grasp. Today's successful action-adventure games like Resident Evil, Tomb Raider, Warhammer and Uncharted pride themselves on being cinematic too, so why do they never seem to translate successfully into actual movies? There are places out there you can't find on any map. They're not gone. They're just lost. Hollywood keeps on trying, though. The film version of Uncharted, for instance, has been on the drawing board since 2008. In fact, star Mark Wahlberg was originally slated to play spunky young Nathan Drake when he first signed on. Now he plays older, wiser mentor Sully. He's lucky he didn't end up playing 500-year-old explorer Ferdinand Magellan. But the voyage was not just about gold. It was something much more valuable. This cross has a very tragic history. So much blood. I'm pretty sure he just threatened to kill me. Oh, this is gonna suck! Nathan is now played by Spider-Man Tom Holland, and we first meet him farewelling his ne'er-do-well brother Sam at an orphanage. Sam never comes back, though he keeps sending cryptic postcards to the now grown-up Nathan over the years. I think you're here because you're your brother. Well, you know my brother, Sam. You find that gold, you find him too. Before the 11-year-old seated next to me at a Saturday afternoon screening can ask me, what's a postcard? We meet the dashing Sully, who has an intriguing offer for Nathan. An offer involving a map. A little young for a bartender, aren't you? A little old for prom, aren't you? Everything in here. Why the map? This path of Ferdinand Magellan took to sail around the world. You know your history. Now, I'm aware that fans often claim the Uncharted games are extremely sophisticated, rivaling the best action-adventure movies for story and character. Well, I'm sure they're hugely enjoyable to play, but let me put the sophisticated description to rest right now. Here's the basic plot of Uncharted. I've been dreaming about this my whole life. And the challenge gold. It's the biggest treasure that's never been found. Five billion, easy. So when do we start? Yeah, put that in your room. Hello? Hello? I can hear you. I'm sitting right next to you. If the trailer can set it up in 15 seconds, why does it take the movie forever to get to the same place? There's hidden treasure worth billions and a series of bejeweled keys and obscurely located keyholes that need to be put together to get from A to B to C to, well, lots of levels. Both of you turn your keys clockwise at the same time. Thanks a lot. You almost got me killed. It was 50-50, so I made a guess. Clearly. The main difference between a game and an adventure movie is character. The highlight of a game is the game itself, surely, and the ingenuity required to get through it. But the memorable bits of a movie are often the bits between the stunts and spectacle. The people, the cool dialogue, the bickering, and the romance. Your brother believed that there was a final piece. Well, you know my brother said... You have no idea who you're partnered with. What else aren't you telling me?
Any character on offer in Uncharted is strictly two-dimensional. Heroes, antagonists and a few dopey bystanders. And at the front, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg play the time-honoured duo of Heroic Kid and his tough but unreliable offsider. You've seen them as Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, Harry Potter and Ron Weasley, Robin Hood and Little John, right the way back to Shakespeare's Prince Hal and Falstaff, I suppose. You were just going to leave me back there. Somebody had to get the cross. Belatedly, they add the missing ingredient, the feisty Princess Leia, Hermione Granger character. In this case, Chloe, played by Sophia Ali, with a funny accent for some reason. Is it meant to be English? Australian? We may need to consult Dick Van Dyke for this one. Who the hell is this? I'm a friend of Solly's. Sally doesn't have any friends. I should know I'm one of them. Characters, even all-purpose ones like this, need time to get established. But in Uncharted, like all video game adaptation films, they never get a chance. It's all action, all the time, whether it's drowning under a cathedral in Barcelona or clinging to the back of a flying plane and then being run over by a sports car. Yes, at the same time. Cool, hey. At the end, there are optimistic hints at multiple sequels, even a cliffhanger ending, but I wouldn't start investing millions in Uncharted 2 quite yet. I gather Mark Wahlberg has expressed a wish to bail from any further films, which isn't promising. This ain't over. Hey, you still with me? Barely! I got the impression that my cinema neighbours were up for more of the same, but, as I say, they were mostly about 11. When and if any sequel lands, they'll be 14 and will have outgrown Uncharted the movie. They'll be firmly playing the real thing.